This is Chris Barnes with Columbia 300, and you're listening to Above180.com podcast with Tim Berg and Joe Serrar. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C., and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. Joining us today is Chris Warren. Chris has six PBA titles to his credit. Chris is also the manager of the Chris Warren Pro Shop, which is up in Grants Pass, Oregon, and inside the Caveman Bowl. Would uh, appreciate you folks taking a chance to check out the Caveman Bowl if you're ever up in that uh, southern Oregon. It's a really great locally run shop. Chris and and the whole staff there uh, really know what they're doing. They put out some challenging shots and have the PBA. Had a PBA regional there not too long ago. Uh, Really one one of the better independent bowling centers in the area in which frankly we don't find a lot of these days so uh chris with all that i want to thank you for joining us today well thank you very much thanks for uh calling well chris i thought we'd begin the interview a lot of folks uh as as we head towards may and june uh, are heading out to usbc open and they're wondering what is the layout that chris warren would put put out if if they were if chris was drilling their equipment what would they have chris drill for them so let's let's uh let's answer that question right now if if you were drilling for someone here at the usbc open what would you tell them to put in their hand to make them score the best now we are bowling on fresh for for doubles and singles and for teams so this is a little different this year than in years past but uh, what are your thoughts on on the pattern and how people should attack it well I would say that because if you look at the pattern and the distances uh, in a team event, you know you're you're bowling on a 41 foot pattern. So you know you have a general rule of thumb that the ball must exit around 11 at the 41 foot mark because 30 from 41 it leaves 11. So that's the kind of the general idea of what you want to do. But you want to kind of break down the pattern from right of that, because you've got a, a, a bunch of different options there. Uh, squares better. Uh, uh, trying to throw the big billy bend is going to get you into trouble because it's a 50, you know, UL pattern. And, I mean, you're you're looking at a, a lot of volume there. You, you know, you're looking at 21, you know, 26 total milliliters. I mean, that's slick. I mean, that that's going to be slick. So squares good. Surface. I would probably start with uh, probably something around 2,000 and work my way downward. Uh, uh, Layout-wise, I'd go with something that's going to be really, really strong and it's going to rev up really quick because when you get it come off the end of the pattern, you don't want it to um, you, you want it to already start have rolling. You don't want it to you don't want to skid jerk off the end of the pattern. So you you know you want to go with something. You know, with your, it depends on how you want to do it, the Mowrich, the dual angle layout, or if you want to do the storm, or, um, you know, it, you want to keep your mass bias, you know, close to your axis uh, in a strong mid-plane position. Uh, 
you know, and it, it depends on, you know, what, you know, ball preference you have. I mean, things that would probably look, uh, you know, really good on it is, are going to be, you know, uh, nightmares will probably look pretty good on them. Uh, Reign of Powers, if you're looking at symmetrical. Um, uh, Lucids are going to be a little skid flippy. Uh, would, would probably want to go with something in, in more in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, I, w- I would almost say like a, a modern marble because it's so arky. Uh, you know, it's a symmetrical, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be, it's going to retain its energy and be pretty arky for you. IQs would be good. Um, you know, Nexus, uh, the double uh, X Nexus would be a, a, a good choice there. Um, you know, it, it just depends on what company you want to go with. But, you know, whatever you want to do, is you want to have a solid and a solid with surface on it. Uh, Chris, this is and Joe Ferrar here. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, Chris. Joe right, Serrar on this end. Good. All right, uh, Joe, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Now, now, being a ball guy like you are, I mean, my brain is always spinning regarding layouts and surface, you know, and uh, you, as well as I realize, every player is different in with axis rotation, axis tilt, uh, rev rate, obviously. Uh, getting back to that reign of power suggestion, you know, I, I thought about that as well because, you know, it's a strong, solid, reactive cover. It's PFT is the name of it. Uh, definitely comes with a, an a aggressive surface at 1,000 grip. But I look at that 2.57 RG, and that makes me a little leery of the ball's ability to keep, may, maybe get into that early roll or fast revving action. Is that kind of the way you see it as well? Well, that also has to do with how far the pin's going to be out where the mass bias is going to be placed. Um, you know, the 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 closer you get your pins down, the the faster they're going to rev up below your finger quadrant. That the faster they're going to rev up, and you can increase that with your drilling angles of your mass bias. So if you go with a a high RG ball and you kick the mass bias closer to their axis, guess what's going to happen? Well, the, there is no mass really fast. But there is no mass bias on that ball being a symmetric core. Yes, there is. There's always a mass bias in a bowling ball. After there drilling. Well, a- after drilling there would be, but prior to drilling there, there is there no mass bias. Yes, there is, because you have a top weight. You can't have top weight if you don't have a mass bias. The mass has to be biased in one direction or the other. Well, then Victor Marion will have to get on here to explain that. His interpretation is symmetrics have no mass bias until they are drilled, and, and Mo Pinnell kind of agrees with that. Well, the problem being is that, okay, if you don't put holes in it, where's the mass going to be biased at? Well, obviously, you, you have, have a pin to, you in have the center to have of gravity. Holes. I understand that. So the mass is still biased. There's still a mass bias in that ball. If you take a ball and you spin it up, it's not going to spin up on the pin. Correct? Well, I have a, it, without a determinator. Holes, with the, with the, with, okay, put a ball, no holes in it. Spin it up. Where's it go to? Well, strangely enough, uh, I, I've done that with the rain of power on our determinator, which finds that we, we shouldn't call it mass bias. It's basically the preferred spin axis. And it basically will not find a preferred spin axis until the ball is drilled. Mm, no, it will. It has. Yeah, to, have a, it will ride itself. Do, do you have a determinator? Will, yes, I do, and it will ride itself. 
Well, again, we'll we'll have to get Mo on here to argue the the semantics of this. I I don't really want to argue with you. Uh, no, today. no, no, no. I'm just uh, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you because I mean I've done this uh, a bunch of times. If you take an inch and a quarter inch drill bit, okay, and you, let's say you have your forty degree layout, okay, and um, you have a seven eight inch thumb hole without an insert that's two and three quarters of an inch deep, and you take an inch and a quarter drill bit. And you put that drill bit on their vertical axis line, that ball's not going to center up on their thumb hole, is it? No, it will not. It, it will pull it somewhere midway between the assumed PSA and the thumb hole. It will pull it closer to the inch and the quarter hole than it will the uh, seven eighths hole. Well, it, it it can, especially if you go two and a half or three inches in depth. Like, and and we've done a lot of yeah, experimenting on this. It's, well, it's the largest void in the ball. It yes, hit, it hit the mass. It took the most mass out. Okay. So that is that is where that that ball is going to want to trend to, is where that void is. Now that also depends upon the angle that you drilled the hole. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> so there's another one that goes into it. So, well, I guess I my mean, my question, know, guys, is we're we're talking about the the reign of power and such. So what? Uh, I guess uh, Joe, we've talked about this. We've had uh, we've had a lot of folks on who've discussed what balls probably do work the best at the USBC Open. It seems like, uh, frankly, to be honest with both of you all, um, uh, every ball is working at the USBC. You see a lot of guys oh, yeah. hitting them that are scoring well. I mean, we, we just, I mean, teams teams there's, are, are sc no, scoring pretty right, high out there. No rider, there's no rider, there's no wrong. The most important thing is going to be surface texture. That's going to be more important than anything. Without traction, uh, friction creates scores, not oil. Oils combat scores. Um, and so you have to have friction to create scores. I mean, I mean, that's just the bottom line. The bottom line is friction creates scores. All the other stuff is just fine-tuning. It's just fine-tuning. Well, and, right. you know, that, 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 that's going to be the most important thing. So that's why I'm saying that, you know, you want to have a couple of balls, you know. I, I said 2000 is a good place to start, you know. You couldn't, you know, I mean, you know, if, if you bowl like, uh, say, like Walter, you could probably get away with the 1500. But then again, if you bowl like Jason Belamonte, uh, you could probably use 4000. And, and, you know, in there, there again, it's all about the bowler and what they want because it, now when you go to the doubles and singles, okay, now you're looking at, you know, I mean, it's what, 24 milliliters at 50? And it's a it's a thirty nine foot pattern. It's two feet shorter. You know, it's two feet shorter, but you know, you're only dropping two mils. I mean, that's still that's gonna play pretty pretty tough because it's so flat at the back. I mean, you know, when you you look at the difference in between, you know, how the lane's gonna play in in the distances and how flat is, it, it's it's fairly flat. You know, I mean, and everybody's going to be able to play wherever they, you know, wherever they open the lane up at, depending on the surfaces that they're bowling with. Uh, the big drawback would be using too much surface. Because if you blow it up too quick, guess what? Now you're in an adverse angle on a lot of oil. That's, that's, that's going to be tough. That's going, that's going to be really, really tough. 
Well, and Chris, that's one of the things in, in watching some of the podcasts on the uh, bowl.com that Matt McNeil is doing. And Matt, uh, you know, we had Matt on last week and, and did, you know, did really a long interview with Matt. And Matt's a great guy. And Joe, I don't know if you've seen this, but Matt is actually catching some flack because he's, um, as my phone goes off, Matt is, you know, Matt's going on and saying some folks are starting out a little bit too far left on the pattern. And it's going to cause them to run into trouble, and folks are still scoring. So, you know, the team he used and, and uh, you know, Brian O'Keefe and Shannon O'Keefe and their whole team, you know, Matt's analysis that at the end of game one, they were a little bit further left than what they really should have been or what they what they needed to be. And as we all know, they still scored very well. Now, for a team like Shannon and Brian and them, that may be well and good that they were a little bit further left because I was watching the stream, and they were. But for a, a, a team that doesn't have the caliber bowlers they do, you do want to play the lanes a little bit probably further to the right, um, you know, because that was Matt's whole analysis is that they were a little bit further left than what you need to be. And it sounds to me like you're saying, too, lane play and breaking down the lanes properly is, is essential this year for, for the teams, you know, like most of us go out with, where we don't have five, you know, Team USA members. We don't have the, uh, you know, the uh, USBC training center where we get to go and practice and bowl on the pattern with the, with the proper oil. Uh, numerous times right. or bowl like Kegel, like like a lot of teams do. Correct, correct, and that's why that's why you know as we said, it would just be a general rule of thumb. Uh, if you watch them bowl, I haven't had a chance to watch them. I, I didn't see them bowl. Uh, I didn't see where they were exiting the pattern, and and I guarantee you, what all of them were going to be pretty close to nine through twelve at the exit point at the forty-one foot mark on the team. Well, they were in the first game, and I need to go back and watch that third game again, but they were there at the first game, but then what happened was they were they were crossing out a little bit further and kind of swinging the ball a little bit further than what, what I guess Matt had watched and what Matt had been telling the folks on at the showcase lanes he thought would work the best uh, because what he thought, and, and he mentioned Joe with us, that what happened with Nicholas Jays is they created too much over-under once they got too far inside. Um, now, again, we're, 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 we don't know the surfaces that, that – um, Shannon Bryan's team was was using like uh, versus Nicholas Jays. We know Joe. You mentioned this the last time. A couple of those guys were throwing some shinier, you know, shinier uh, pieces down the lane and trying to swing them out, and they just kind of would would hang and on, on them, and it would be two eight ten, or it would be week ten or seven pin or something. Right, right. But I remember Matt McNeil was mentioning the team that took over the lead at thirty five hundred surprised him because the majority of them started with four thousand and polished. And, and then they shoot an all-time 110-year record. Correct. They what so, they did was they carried it. They carried the the oil down and made them a whole spot late. Is what they so, probably ended up doing. So, so the, the long and short of this, Chris, do you think it's possible too many bowlers try and receive too much information of how to play the lanes rather than relying on their own? innate ability on that particular day they're bowling on and just read the lanes then and there? Yes. Too many people read too much into what goes on. They think that they're going to play in a certain place. They think that they're going to throw a certain ball. And, you know, every day's different. It's like if you can tell me what today's going to bring, I guarantee you what, we're going to make a million dollars. But guess what? You can't do that. So, you know, the best rule of thumb is go with a very open mind. Go with an open mind. And you know what? When you throw your practice balls, throw a couple from a couple of different spots. Throw, you know, 
throw a couple of different balls. Don't don't get set on, well, I'm going to throw this and this is going to work. And if it doesn't work, get it out of your hand. I mean, that's I see that from more people than anything. Oh, I made a bad shot. Okay, well, did you watch the ball? Because apparently, you know, anytime I've ever bowled, uh, even when I made a bad shot, if I had the right ball in my hand, guess what? It was still pretty close. Well, well why don't you that, share, uh, Chris, being a, a PBA player, an, an ex-PBA player, uh, one of the better ones in my opinion, why don't you share some of your experiences of, say, a particular tournament or, or so where you went there presuming or presupposing you were going to play here and here with a given ball, and yet you did not find that shot? And, and how long did it take you to recognize it? Oh, my gosh. That's cute. That's, oh, that's been happened so many times that it wasn't even funny. I mean, um, gosh, dog it. I mean, like going and bowling the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open is is the, the, uh, the funnest probably tournament you can go bowl. And people go, well, they're tough. Yeah, it's the funnest. Uh, <laughs> bowling on the Earl Anthony pattern. Uh, we just got off that last week, and that was that was that was great. That was just so much fun. And people look at me and go, "You get off on average in 190." And I went, "Yeah," because I'm 215 on my best day. And reality says that that's what I am. I'm not 240. I'm not 220. I'm 215 on my best day. And you know, too many people go in there and they go, "Well, average," you know. They, they go, what has happened, what they've done in the past. Who gives a rat mad about what you did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, last year, last week, matter of fact? What are you going to do now? If the scoring pace is 210, 210 is a good game. Scoring pace is 190, 190 is a good game. Scoring pace is 250, 250 is a good game. And that's where people get caught up is they they don't understand. Watch the ball. The ball tells you something, and you have to be willing to listen. If you're not willing to listen, you know, um, the, the, be- the best way I can put it is every time you go ball, it's like going into service. Somebody's going to tell you what to do. Now, are you going to listen or are you not going to listen? Usually, if you don't listen when you go into service, there's consequences. And most of the time, the consequences aren't very good. So, Chris, why don't you share with us some of your skills and abilities you've learned by bowling on tour, as well as off tour, of how to recognize bad ball reaction. Because, I, again, I bowled today four or five games, and it took me two games to really realize I was not in the proper part on the lane. And finally, I made a five-and-five five move and had a phenomenal look. So how do we recognize our mistakes quicker? That is, a, That has a lot to do with people in charting their equipment. A lot of people don't take the time to chart their equipment. They, they go and they drill a new bowling ball. And uh, like me, I'm, I, I have nine bowling balls that go to tournaments with me. Nine. Now, I have balls that I bowl league with. Now, I don't bowl league with my tournament balls. And when I feel that there's something missing or, or I feel that, well, you know what, that ball really, 
you know, it's starting to peter out. I've resurfaced it, you know, five times, and it's it's just, you know, it's losing its punch. It's losing its punch. What am I going to drill to replace that? And now that ball goes into my league bag. And people go, what? It doesn't mean I get rid of it. It just goes in my league bag. Well, then i got to take one out of my league bag, and what do I do with that? I give it to one of the kids. Here. You know, you can have it. And they're like, really? Yeah, you can have it. It's not that important to me. It's just a bowling ball. It's a tool. You know, and you, you have to understand that. You, you have bowling balls that you bowl tournaments with. You have bowling balls you bowl league with. You have bowling balls that you practice with. You know, you don't, you, you just don't have a set of balls and go, well, I'm going to go bowl with these. These are the balls I'm going to use. Because guess what? You may need to drill one. You may get there, and what you got doesn't doesn't presumably look good to you. Everybody has a vision of what their ball should look like and what they expect out of it. If that ball doesn't fit into your vision, you're not going to score well with that ball. It's That's just the way it is. Your vision dictates everything, because that's your confidence. If you're not confident in what you're doing, what are you doing? Right. So, 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 Chris, can you share with us your benchmark rolling ball in for both league and for tournaments? In league, uh, right now, I have a couple of balls that I'm bowling with in league at the Woodhouse that has U uh, three hundred on it. Um, I have been using a uh, Fire Road uh, balls, really clean. You know. It's it's drilled pretty strong, but there again, you know, it's a it's a it's a, has a bad surface. So we have fruit friction, and you have a track that's built in, and it hasn't been resurfaced in like four years or five years. So mm-hmm. it's pretty beat up. Then in our center here, uh, we have uh, Pro Amble Lane. Uh, shots pretty easy, not real hard. Pin down. Got a couple of divas that I use. Um, you know. Uh, I have a uh, freeze that I use. Uh, you know, people go, well, why do you use, that? Why do you use different balls? Because I never bowl with the same ball. <laughs> and people find that so amazing. You average 240 and you never bowl with the same ball. No, because it's practice. I can't make a living bowling league. Okay, so um, probably my favorite ball on our league pattern is my Tropical Heat, the solid, the uh, uh, blue and purple one. It's a pin down. It's drilled a, a 35 by 4.5 by 75. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, I have so many bowling balls that I use. People, well, I don't, you know, I can't afford that. But I have bowling balls, and I always drill, when I test the ball, it always has the same layout. I, I go with the same layout on every test ball. And then I go, well, okay, well, that's what that ball did. It really needs to go a little bit farther. So, you know, I probably need to increase my, my drilling angle a little bit. Um, to probably increase the distance from my pin. Um, you know, raise the RG value up a little bit. Uh, you know, or that ball, that ball's just pushed too far. Oh my gosh, that ball. Right. So, 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 so Chris, you say you drill them all the same, but what, what is your, your base drill layout? My base drill layout is um, 35 by 4.5 by 70. 
Oh, okay. Like your tropical is like a tropical heat you mentioned, and mm -hmm. do you it use has that a high RG? Do I use right. that in uh, asymmetricals also? Yes. And and do you like that layout due to the fact that it lays off some when it leaves the pattern, or just due to the predictability it, and control? It revs up really, really quick, and uh, if I want to put my hand in it, I can make it pop. If I want to back off of it, I can make it roll, and it's not real violent off the end of the pattern. It's just not violent off the end of the pattern. That allows me to dictate the violency. Um Every ball that I drill that is a pin-up is so violent on the back end when it encounters friction. Eh, you know, pin-ups I like for when I can swing it, you know, and I'm playing fourth, fifth arrow. Other than that, I hardly ever throw a pin-up ball. Hardly ever. Only till I start having to really get steep with my angles do I, I go to a pin-up ball. And and do you ever favor say six or six and a half inch pins on symmetrics or asymmetrics, either above or below? I I'm I'm not a real big fan of six inch pins. <laughs> I just um, the reason why is because you know you you can manipulate them a lot, but the extra holes have to be so big <laughs> that. You know, you're you're either raising the differential or you're decreasing the differential, and you know uh, that just that just uh, you know when I you know when you're when with my track is on five and a quarter and three eighths up, you know that's a six inch pin. You know, every once in a while I'll clip the fingers if I get it too high. It actually inverts itself, so it it it, it to me it. it it smooths it out quite a bit, uh, but I'm not a real big fan of it. So, Chris, you hit on something that's very interesting uh, when you said league is for practice because we have a lot of listeners that are trying to get to that level where um, – they're improving their game a lot. They're averaging maybe 180, 190. And to say to them that league is practice is just something that they've never thought of. And, and when you said it again, it made me think of that. But explain that because a lot of times, you know, when you get to a certain level, that's what you consider league and that, you know, uh, might be what Joe considers league. But, but for someone who's just going out, and we all have to know our limitations and what our goals are ultimately when it comes to bowling – um, but just talk about that and kind of talk about how someone who's, you know, 180 or 190 or even 200, how they can use that same mentality and what their mentality should be for when they go in bowl league. Well, because now, now you're talking about 180s, 190s, and 200s. Are they going to bowl tournaments? Are they, you know, that is the, 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 the main emphasis on it. And people go, well, you know, there's, and what I mean by that is there's a lot of amateur tournaments that pay a lot of money. And there's a lot of, you know, money to be made bowling amateur tournaments. So, you know, league is, is practice is like, okay, you do a new bowling ball. You go out and you bowl with it. You know, league is practice because you have to pace yourself. You have to be patient. You know, I know a lot of leagues have high pots. A lot of leagues have brackets. But guess what? Are you going to make as much money bowling those brackets that you're going to go make bowling those tournaments? I doubt it. I really doubt it. Now, 
the money that you have to put out to get in those brackets is going to be less than the money that you have to put out to go bowl, say, the U.S. Open. Great. But, in in one shot, let's see. Hmm. You're going to spend 1500 to make 50000 Okay, great. I'm going to spend 5 bucks to make 25 Hmm. I can get five times of my money or 25 times of my money, which is more important. Well, and you bring up I the key point too. There's also there's there's like you said there's a high you know the high rollers. There's different divisions in those. There's a true amateur tournaments, and there's a ton of stuff that bowlers can bowl if they average lower and and make their money back. <laughs> Correct. Correct. I mean, we have handicap brackets here. I don't know if they, you guys have handicap brackets, but uh, on our Friday nightly, uh, Chris Major King runs you know handicap brackets. You know. Um, you know, uh, we only have one. Uh, we only have two scratch leagues in in our town, and you know, so we don't have a whole lot of scratch things going on. But when you go bowl these uh, other tournaments, they're scratch. So if you're bowling league and you're worried about leaving that ten pin to lose the game for that point for two dollars and seventy five cents, you know. I would say league is practice. Put yourself into that situation every single time and practice it. Want to strike, you know, will it to happen. You know, use that practice. Every day's different. Some days are going to be good. Some days are going to be bad. You have to understand the difference between the good ones and the bad ones. Well, and, and that's actually when, you know, Matt McNeil, probably the, the best and, and most, uh, Joe, I'm sure you'd agree, the biggest takeaway from his interview last week when we talked to him was visualizing how, and how a guy like that who is, uh, you know, has eagles to his credit, how he visualizes bowling, you know, the one shot at a, at a time. And so many of us get so th- caught up in things that we don't think that way. And like you're saying, you can go out and practice the same thing and, and shoot, you know, treat league that same way you know, for yourself. So Chris, it's, it's been a, a pleasure sitting down and chatting with, uh, with you. I know last time we had you on, it was right before you were doing the winner take all event down in, in Vegas with the PBA uh, stars, or it was, you know, put up or shut up sort of money. And, and, uh, you were willing to go and do that. So we, you know, credit you for doing that and, and thought it'd be great to just catch up a little bit again and get your perspective on things. I know things, uh, always busy and, and uh, always love talking to folks who love our sport and are passionate like you are. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, anytime you guys want to talk, we can sit down and talk. Well, thank you, Chris. We I appreciate you joining us as well and sharing your your arsenal thoughts. And I think that's going to help quite a few of our listeners. Uh, you know, you, you kind of summed it up saying you need to really know your equipment arsenal much better to, to be able to make these reads and adjustments quicker. And again, two sets of balls, one for tournament, one for league play. Uh, great, great and thoughts. Remember, surface is the most important thing. Surface. You got to know what surface you got. You have to know it. Not only the balls, but the lanes and, and, and what you're bowling on. You know, but don't get caught up in having a set pattern. Be very open minded. Yeah. Great thoughts. Uh, all right, Tim, Chris, you thank you. Up? Yep, thank you, Chris. We, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll be in touch soon. And, All right, and, Tim. 
And Chris, Chris, before you go, I got to ask you one one question. Shoot. I've always felt I, I, there's a couple releases off tour that I've always admired. Uh, one being Don Johnson, the second being yours, uh, and to me they parallel each other to a certain extent. Uh, obviously, your game more power, but I would like to know what lateral pitches you use on your fingers. Uh, I'd use say near zero on your middle finger and a half to five ace right on your ring finger to help clear the ball? I am uh, I am a quarter left on my uh, middle finger. I am uh, five-eighths right on my ring finger, and I'm also a quarter under on both fingers, but I also throw a conventional. A conventional grip you always have? Uh, for most of my career, yeah. Uh, very few years that I, I tried to throw a fingertip bowling ball. It was okay when we were throwing urethane, and you could throw it 14 miles an hour and just get all over it. But when I started back bowling in 2001, uh, we we found that this is uh, this is very detrimental for me because uh, it, it it the ball definitely overreacts with me throwing a fingertip bowling ball. So with the conventional, I gain a little more control. So how do you get a 400 rev rate with a conventional? You let go of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the hardest thing for people to learn. I'm a quarter forward with my thumb and an ace left. And so people you... look at me and go, that's a half inch. Yeah, yeah. My spans, uh, my total spans, three and five eighths and three and seven eighths. And I'm, I'm a quarter under on both fingers and a quarter forward on my thumb. So do you try and open-handed some at the release? I try to. Guess what? It, do, it doesn't happen. I have what they call this unique ability to lift through the center of the ball. And that's the, that, that's the hard thing to get people to understand is lifting through the center of the ball. And is, is that partly due to your physique where you can create that, that tight arm swing close to your body? It has it has a lot to do with my foot speed and how fast my ball gets into my swing and uh, you know it, it's basically gravity. I let gravity come down and once I let it come down, I just unload on it. Hmm. Yeah, that that's interesting and uh, and I appreciate your your honesty there. And I do apologize for our our beginning of the interview arguing, even though I, I didn't want to argue with you. Sometimes I no, get past. No, 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 no. You know, I, I get passionate about things and discussions. Discussions are very important because yes. you know why discussions are important. Because if you don't discuss it, you didn't learn anything. That's right. <laughs> and I mean, everybody has their own opinions, and everybody has their own uh, ideas of of our game. And I look forward to all of it because you know what? There's a lot of things that I may not know. And, you know, it's very important that, you know, ignorance is a lack of knowledge. Stupidity is knowing and not doing. There's a huge difference there. Oh, yeah. And I'm a little ignorant a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a lot ignorant sometimes, too. So, <laughs> but this, so you, you and I get along just fine. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, Chris, we'll let you run, and, and thanks for uh, hopping on with us, okay? All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Bye-bye.